You're listening to sermon audio from Redeemer Georgetown. For more information about Redeemer Georgetown, connect with us on social media or check us out at www.redeemergeorgetown.com. You know, uh, when I was a kid growing up in Salina, Kansas, uh, one of my favorite times of year was right now because they would decorate the downtown, just perfect. You go to the mall, it's all decorated there. Really, uh, small town America, and uh, you could feel... The anticipation building, building, building uh, as you saw the presence underneath the tree and it just seemed to take forever before you could finally get there and get to those presents and unwrap them. But before that, grandparents would come from Cleburne or from Italy, Texas, and they would arrive. And it was just this great building up to Christmas Eve night where we'd go to church and we'd watch a little play, the Nativity. And then we drive around looking at lights, and then we go home. And tomorrow morning, man, so awesome, you know, such a great experience. And you could feel that anticipation coming and building up to that moment. That's exactly what the nation of Israel was feeling 2,000 years ago. As a nation, they were longing for their Messiah. They knew the prophecies. They knew what had been promised. And because of those promises and looking forward to the promised one who was mentioned from Genesis chapter 3 after uh, their peace had been shattered, they had shalom, they had peace. And peace, bigger than the English word, it, it, it had the picture of completeness, satisfaction, safety and prosperity. That's what they had. And then it was shattered completely by sin. And when they should have been expecting our ancient father and mother, Adam and Eve, when they should have been expecting that death would follow right that moment, what happens is a promise of one who will come and strike the serpent and bring peace. And so they were watching. The nation of Israel knew about these promises knew about the promise from Deuteronomy chapter 18 that as the Old Testament lens starts to tighten in and you start to see greater clarity, they knew about the promise that there was one who God would raise up from among their brothers, one like Him, and He would be the prophet. He was coming and so they were waiting, they were watching. Daniel 9 even said that once the command is given to rebuild Jerusalem, you can start the clock. 430 years later, Messiah will come. And so, in the time of Jesus, anticipation was rich. That someone was coming, a man was coming, it was the Messiah, and He would deliver us. And He'd be the greatest gift our nation has ever known. And He would bring something that we need. He would bring peace where there was turmoil. Peace where there was stress. Where there was insecurity, He would bring security. And that was the longing of the nation of Israel at that time. They were waiting for His arrival. Even now, we feel a longing, not for His first advent, His first arrival, but we live in between that arrival and the one that is to come. Jesus' second advent. Here we live in a time of insecurity and darkness, a time where we're longing for security, we're longing for that sense of shalom. And when you go to Israel, you meet people from Israel, they'll greet you with the word shalom. 
It's a blessing. It's a, it's a greeting, but it's also a wish for you. Completeness, wholeness, security, prosperity, shalom. I just want to ask you as we head into this season that we call Advent and we consider the promises of God. Last week, Josh spoke about the promise of love. The promise is fulfilled in Jesus. This week, we are looking at the promise of peace. That promise is fulfilled in Jesus. On a, if you want to say, peace pendulum, if you have anxiety on this end of the pendulum and peace on this end of the pendulum and it swings back and forth in your life, where are you at this season of your life on that pendulum? Are you in the, in the middle of a very anxious time in your life? Is this an anxiety-ridden time for you? Is it a peaceful time for you? Do you know how to read the inner dials of your own soul, your heart, to understand what gives me peace? Take a moment with that question even right now. What is it that when I encounter... This gives me peace. Where do you go to find peace? What steals peace from you? Is there a place in your mind when you say, Ah, that, that's a peaceful place. Is there a place that comes up immediately for you? You know, People go every which direction for peace. They'll go to money in the bank equals peace. Secure the relationship with this particular person at this particular time. Ah, peace. Sometimes we go to shopping for peace. Some people go to work mode. Just, just let me put this over here and engage in work because at least then I don't have to think about it and I can get peace from this. Or some people go to Netflix for peace. Crazy as it sounds, Scotty Smith, the pastor, tells a story of when his mother had passed away that he was 12 years old and somehow if he could sit in front of a TV with a cookie jar in front of him, he would sit in there and he would watch TV and eat Oreo cookies and somehow it made the pain not so bad. That's where he went for peace. Where do you go? Who do you turn to? I want you to know this. The Lord Jesus is your peace. He even said in John chapter 14, I give you peace, but it's not like the world's giving of peace. It's different than that. And so this morning, the roadmap I want to give you is going to seem a little peculiar, and I'm going to read some longer passages. I'm going to ask you to endure with me as I read some longer passages. But today, I want you to consider this peace pendulum where you're at. I want you to consider where you are right now, but also what's the trajectory of your life. Do you live more on the end of the anxiety side of that pendulum? After that, we're going to look at Hezekiah's pursuit of peace. There's a king in ancient Israel, Hezekiah. We're going to be looking at him today and how he pursued peace. And then I'm going to show you Jesus is the Prince of Peace. And friends, listen to me. 
dial in as close as you can for a minute. When, when I lived in Illinois for what felt like 50 years, it was only 12, um, right around Halloween, this weird thing happens where you can see your breath as you go outside. It's just terrible, just awful. And then people start these fire pits out in their driveway and you stand near the fire pit and you kind of rotisserie yourself, you know? You're trying to stay warm. The one thing you don't do is wander off 10 feet away from the fire pit because you know that out there you're just going to freeze. So you stay near. And by staying near, you get some fellowship with people around you, but also you get the warmth of that fire. Friends, hear me. The closer you draw into Jesus the more you lean on Him. And if you will, if the more you rotisserie your soul in front of Him, the more peace you will have. And the further you drift away from Him, the colder it gets, the more anxious you get. And I think that the Lord longs for this season to be a time where you draw near to Him and He draws near to you. And that you might experience the peace that only He can give. Because He gives it a whole lot different than a paycheck. And He knows the story of your struggle as it exists in your heart right now. He's aware of it more than you are. He knows how you arrived at this moment. And He beckons you, come close to Me, come close to Me. Let Me draw you in, further in, further up, that He might warm your soul with grace. Pray with me. Father, we thank You and love You. It's good to slow down. It's good to lean in. And in this time, towards the end of the year, feel the anticipation of the gift that is Jesus. The longing to open up and find more of Him and enjoy Him more deeply. Lord God, I pray that today we could experience Your grace and that You would give us peace. A deep, residing peace. One that's not so quickly shaken and fragile. I pray that when January comes, we wouldn't just walk away from the warmth and the grace and the beauty of Christ because the season of Advent has passed. Teach us to live close to You with the longing of Your second Advent. We pray it in Christ's name. Amen. I'm fully aware that if you were looking at the text that I chose for this morning, you'd go, that's not a Christmas text. Yeah, it is. <laughs> As a matter of fact, it's a rich one. We've got a man named Hezekiah, and I, I'm going to read a longer passage, and I want you to just stay with me through it, but I want you to know that at this time of Hezekiah's life, he is living in what we would call the divided kingdom. They're about to go into exile. It's 300 years after David has slew Goliath. Slain? Slewn? Slayed? Killed. Uh, Goliath. It's 700 years until we get to Jesus. It's a time of darkness. It's a time of fear. You have the divided kingdom of Israel, not like David's united kingdom. You've got the northern tribes, Israel, and then you've got Judah in the south. 
the northern tribes of Israel, not a single one of their kings is a reformer, a good man that knows and walks with the Lord. But Hezekiah is not like that. In fact, listen to these words. It says in chapter 18, in the third year of Hosea, the son of Elah, Israel, king of Israel, Hezekiah, the son of Ahaz, king of Judah, began to reign. And he was 25 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 29 years in Jerusalem. Verse 3, He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, according to all that David his father had done. He removed the high places and broke the pillars down and cut down the Asherah, broke them into pieces and broke into pieces the bronze serpent, serpent, pardon me, that Moses had made. For until those days, the people of Israel made offerings to it. It was called Nahushtan. And he trusted in the Lord God of Israel, so that there was none like him among all the kings of Judah and after him, nor among those who were before him. For he held fast to the Lord, and he did not depart from following him. But he kept the commandments of the Lord, and that the Lord had commanded Moses. And the Lord is with him, and wherever he went out, he prospered. Now that's a good guy. And you need to know that what he was doing was bold, faith-filled, courageous. To cut down these high places was to remove... Uh, the foreign worship that was going on in Israel. They kind of had God, but they also had some of these pagan Baal worship things happening. Disgusting worship, if, if, you, if you know the rest of the story. It's, it's terrible, and he cut it down. None of this. Even this bronze serpent that had been raised up in the wilderness, they looked to for salvation. Uh, the people of Israel started to idolatrize that, and they started to worship that. And he said, no, to heck with that. We're, cutting, we're going to ruin that as well for you. And he's going to follow the Lord with intensity. And this is early on in his reign, and he is a good man. And so when the king of the north falls to Babylon, to Assyria... And, and he sees what's coming, that they are going to lay siege to Jerusalem, we know exactly what this good man's going to do, right? Well, let's watch and see. Verse 13, In the fourteenth year of King Hezekiah, Sennacherib, think of Sennacherib, you've got a rib in your hands, you, that's helpful. <laughs> Sennacherib, uh, let's see, the king of Assyria came up against all the fortified cities of Judah. And he took them. And we know our guy. We know that he trusts in the Lord. So our anticipation is what? This man will not bow. He will not fold. He will look to the Lord who is his strength. And it says in verse 14, King Hezekiah of Judah sent to the king of Assyria at Lachish saying, I have done wrong. Withdraw from me. Whatever you would impose on me, I will bear it. The king of Assyria required Hezekiah, the king of Judah, 300 talents of silver, 30 talents of gold. And Hezekiah gave him all the silver that was found in the house of the Lord and the treasuries of the king's house. At that time, Hezekiah stripped the gold from the doors of the temple of the Lord and, of the doorposts of Hezekiah, so, and from the doorpost that Hezekiah, the king of Judah, had overlaid and gave it to the king of Assyria. You know, I've taught all of my kids to drive. 
And if you have ever taught your teenager to drive, you know there's a moment that's coming when you look over them and say, what are you doing? <laughs> what made you think that was a good idea? Don't do that. <laughs> right? Every parent in the room that's done this is like, yep, yep, yep. In fact, my parents said that to me. <laughs> right? You can look right at Hezekiah and go, what are you doing? What part of you thinks that's a good idea? Let me tell you what he's doing. Well, let me tell you first, he's afraid. And we would be too. There is a massive Assyrian army of 185,000 soldiers who are victorious. They have demolished every kingdom around and now they've set up shop around you. What are you doing? Answer, I'm seeking peace. That's what I'm doing. And if it takes me going in and cutting gold off the doorknobs of the house of the Lord, then so be it. If that's what I got to do to get peace, then that's what I got to do. You know, he's not just seeking peace. He's seeking peace without God. And he's not just seeking peace without God. He's trying to buy peace without God. Can we go back for a moment and consider your peace pendulum and, and where it leans and why? Because if I think if you would ask Hezekiah, Hezekiah, do you believe in God? You know what his answer been? Of course I believe in God. Of course I believe in God. Okay, well when's the last time you trusted Him? You believe in Him, fair enough. When's the last time you trusted Him? Friends, you believe in God? Of course I do. Okay, I do too. When's the last time you trusted Him? When was the last time that you said, I can't make sense of any of this. I feel outmatched. I don't want to be in this moment. But I'm going to trust you, God. I'm going to look to you, not my circumstances, and I am going to lean forward into your promise. And I'll look there for peace. When's the last time you trusted Him? When's the last time your heart was beating fast because you knew that if God didn't show up, you were in real trouble? Hezekiah is in that moment. And what do you think? What do you think of his strategy? <laughs> the guy wants a lot of gold. Let's go find him some gold. Well, I, 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 let's cut the doorknobs off this temple. <laughs> I mean, that's, do you think it's going to work? It's not going to work. It's not going to work for him. Seeking peace without God is not going to work for him and it's not going to work for us. Listen to what happens. I mean, these are some pretty creative threats that come his way. Down here, Sennacherib basically starts to taunt. He says in verse 25, um, Moreover, is it without the Lord that I have come up against this place to destroy it? The Lord said to me, this is Sennacherib talking to the people of Hezekiah's uh, on the wall, and he says, the Lord told me to go up against you. Verse 28, Eliakim, the son of Hilkiah, and Shebna, and Joah, 
said to the Rabshakeh, Please, speak to your servants in Aramaic, for we understand it. Do not speak to us in the language of Judah within the hearing of the people on the wall. But Rabshakeh said to them, Has my master sent me to speak these words to your master and to you? And not to the men sitting on the wall who are doomed with you to eat their own dung and drink their own urine? That's it's a pretty effective threat. You think we're going to speak in a foreign language no one else can hear? We're going to say it right out loud, and I'm going to tell you right now, even though you've paid me off, it didn't work. Now here's the deal. You come make a, a, a bargain with me. So then the Rabshakeh stood and called out in a loud voice in the language of Judah, Hear the word of the great king, the king of Assyria. Thus says the king, Do not let Hezekiah deceive you. He will not be able to deliver you out of my hand. And do not let Hezekiah make you trust in the Lord by saying the Lord or surely deliver us. This city will not be given into the hand of the king of Assyria. Do not listen to Hezekiah. For thus says the king of Assyria, make your peace with me. I want you to make note of that. You want peace, you turn to me. Don't trust the Lord. Don't trust in the king. You, you come and you make your peace with me. And then each one of you will eat from his own vine. Have a fig tree. And each one of you will drink water from his own sister, cistern until I come and take you away into a land that, I, that you will make your own. And then down in verse 35, Who among all the gods of the lands have delivered their lands out of my hand that the Lord should deliver Jerusalem out of my hand? You know what he's saying? I mean, it's very clear at this point. Your only chance for peace is compromise. You might be tempted to trust in God, but if you want peace, you're going to have to make a deal with me. Compromise. Well, this sounds so much like the voice of our enemy. And what I want you to see is that in this moment, Hezekiah has really blown it. He's really wrecked the car, if you will. He's made a terrible mess. A man who started off so good, doing so well, enjoying shalom because of how he had served the Lord and obeyed the Lord, and now he's made a total train wreck of the whole thing. What do you do when you look up and realize... That by your own choices, you have found yourself in a shattered shalom. What are you going to do then? Well, let me show you what happens next. Because it's beautiful. It's truly beautiful. Chapter 19. Look at this with me. As soon as King Hezekiah heard it, he tore his clothes. He covered himself with sackcloth. And he went into the house of the Lord. Then he, further on, it says that he turned to Isaiah. Isaiah plays prominently. They're contemporaries of one another. And Isaiah said to the servants of Hezekiah, Say to your master, Thus says the Lord, Do not be afraid because of the words that you have heard with which the servants of the king of Assyria have reviled me. Behold, I will put in him a spirit, so that he shall hear a rumor and return to his own land, and I will make him fall by the sword in his own land. What happened? Somewhere in the valley, 
with no more doorknobs to plunder. He repented. He turned around. And he turned to God. And as he walked back into the house of the Lord and walked through doors that he cut the handles off of, that's what repentance looks like. Coming back to where you started and turning to the prophet Isaiah is like turning right back to the promises of God, turning to the Word of God. So listen, if you find yourself in a moment where you have no peace You have no reason circumstantially to feel good about anything. And you know that partly it's your choices that brought you there. There's hope. There's hope. There's peace and it's waiting for you. And it happens like this. Turn around. Repent. Turn around. Come back. Go to the Word of God. Find the promises of God. Because in the promises of God, every single one of those Old Testament promises is pointing, it's pointing, it's pointing forward, it's pointing to Him who will come. But listen to what happens first. Before we get to Isaiah, the more prominent chapter being preached this morning, I want you to see this. Nothing has changed. Nothing has changed circumstantially. You still have a lot of soldiers out there ready to slaughter you. But here's a man who's already repented and turned to the Word of God. And what does he do next? Listen to his prayer and take note of this beautiful prayer, how he prays it. Chapter 19, verse 14, Hezekiah received the letter from the hand of the messengers and he read it. And Hezekiah went up to the house of the Lord and he spread it out before the Lord, this threatening letter. And Hezekiah prayed before the Lord and said, O Lord God of Israel, enthroned above the cherubim, You are the God, You alone, of all the kingdoms of the earth. You have made heaven and earth. Incline Your ear, O Lord, and hear, and open Your eyes, O Lord, and see and hear the words of Sennacherib, which he has sent to mock the living God. Truly, O Lord... The kings of Assyria have been laid waste, the nations and their lands, and they have been cast their gods into the fire, for they were not gods, but they were the work of men's hands, stone, wood. Therefore they were destroyed. So now, O Lord our God, please save us from, the, from His hand, that all the nations and the king, all the kingdoms of the earth may know that You, O Lord, are God alone. <laughs> Come on, man. You feel that? What did he do? Well, first he repented. Turned around. Came right back to that fire pit and said, I'm freezing. Warm me. And then what did he do? He looked deep into the promises of God. The words of the prophet Isaiah came into his, into his presence. And he looked at them. And instead of looking at the size of the mess and the size of his regret, he's looking at the promises of God again. And then he prays, and as he prays, he doesn't start off with, oh God, there's 185,000 killers out there. A lot. That's a big bunch. And these guys have slaughtered pretty much everybody. You know, where does he start? Oh God, you alone 
have created heaven and earth. You alone. You're enthroned above the cherubim. You know what happens when you put your eyes on the glory of God instead of the size of your problems? When you find yourself staring at the majesty and the goodness and the kindness of God, you find yourself elevated to see everything through the lenses of how great is my God, not how messed up is my life, not how big is my problem, but you're rising above that because God is right in front of you. Friends, I... I want you to learn to pray. I want you to learn to seek peace, not in the simple things like, well, I've got money, I've got wit, I've got strength, I've got friends, I've got... No, 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 no. All of that is slippery and fragile and will break on you. When you turn to Him and find your rest, find your shalom, when you find your fullness, your satisfaction... Prosperity waiting right in front of you. There's something glorious about that. God has gotten big. And you can truly measure the real problems in front of you according to that standard. And though nothing has changed, this man sleeps like a baby that night. Now some of you new parents are going, you know that's not really a great way to describe sleep, right? It's not the most peaceful sleep. Okay, he slept well that night. Why? I mean, he didn't know that the next morning he was going to wake up to a bunch of dead bodies. He knew the promise of God. I want you to know this. The important thing about what we have here is this relationship between Hezekiah and Isaiah. Isaiah in his writing is also in a similar spot, right? He's not immune to uh, the circumstances that Hezekiah was facing. But what did Isaiah know? Well, listen to this from Isaiah chapter 9. These famous words that are familiar at, at this time of year for all of us. Isaiah knew that that one who had been promised in Genesis chapter 3 and Deuteronomy chapter 18 that was mentioned in Daniel, that he knew that this was coming that this was the guy that was coming, the one who was coming. He says, for, us, for to us a child is born, a son is given. Now listen, every single one of them would have been thinking back to Genesis chapter 3. And then Genesis chapter 4 when Cain kills Abel. And then another child is born, Seth. Don't you know that Eve is thinking, is this the one? Is this the one that was promised? I mean... The Lord had said something about someone, a man will come someday and he will strike the serpent. Maybe this one will come and he will deal a death blow to the serpent. The son that is given, the child that is born. It wasn't going to be Seth, but it was going to point forward to Jesus. And not only that, the government will be upon his shoulder and he shall be called, listen to this, wonderful counselor. And that, I mean... Isn't that warm your soul? It's like rotisserie in yourself around him right now. You're like, what is he? He's a wonder of counsel. He's the one you can turn to when you're outmatched. He's the one who knows what to do. He's the one who knows how to give peace. He's a wonderful counselor. He's also mighty God. This wonder who would come is Emmanuel, God with us. Everlasting Father. So He's the Father of a generation that will continue on and on and on. Unending generation. And He is the Prince of Peace. 
He's the Prince of Shalom, of fullness. Trust in Him. He will lead you. The increase of His government and peace, there will be no end. It will go on and on and on. And so, this is how we find peace. They were looking forward to this. We look back and see who it was and long for Him to come again. Come, Lord Jesus. Let me live in the brokenness of my own life and the brokenness of this generation with the hope of Your return. I want you to lean into that today. James, the brother of the Lord, said, if you draw near to Him... He will draw near to you. Draw near to Him. Say to Him, I've been wandering. I've been trying to find peace without you. I've been trying to buy peace. I've been trying to manipulate peace. And and I find myself in anxiety. You, Lord, have peace to give. Some of you know the words as uh, Steve Jobs was dying. Some of you don't know this, but I want you to hear this. I found this amazing. This is the words he wrote a couple of months before he died, really a couple of weeks. He said, you can employ someone to drive the car for you, make money for you, but you cannot have someone bear your sickness for you. Material things lost can be found or replaced, but there is one thing that can never be found when it's lost. Life. Whichever stage... In life, you're in right now, with time, you will face the day when the curtains fall. I reached the pinnacle of success in the business world. In others' eyes, my life is the epitome of success. However, aside from work, I have little joy. In the end, my wealth is only a fact of life that I am accustomed to. At this moment, lying on my bed and recalling my life, I realize the recognition and wealth that I took so much pride in have paled and become meaningless in the face of death. Treasure uh, treasure love for your family, love for your spouse, love for your friends. Treat yourself well and cherish others. As we grow older and hopefully wiser, we realize that a $3,000 or a $30 watch both tell the same time. You will realize that your true inner happiness does not come from the material things of this world. Whether you fly first class or economy, if the plane goes down, you go down with it. Therefore, I hope you realize when you have mates, buddies, and old friends, brothers and sisters who, chat with, who you chat with, laugh with, talk with, sing with, talk about north, south, east, west, or heaven and earth, that is true happiness. Don't educate your children to be rich. Educate them to be happy. So when they grow up, they will know the value of things and not the price. Eat your food as your medicine. Otherwise, you will eat medicine as your food. The one who loves you will never leave you for another because even if there are a hundred reasons to give up, he or she will find a reason to hold on. There is a big difference between being a human and human being. Pardon me, a human being and being human. Only if you really understand it, you are loved when you are born. You will be loved when you die. In between, you have to manage.
The six best doctors in the world are sunlight, rest, exercise, diet, self-confidence, and friends. Maintain them all in stages. Maintain them in all stages and enjoy a healthy life. <laughs> now, when you read that, it—it's a man groping for peace. It's a man saying, "I didn't find it. You might have thought I did, but I didn't. I didn't find it." And now he's groping and he's looking and he's trying everywhere to say, well, this had some meaning and this is really important. And you guys need to know it didn't happen the way you thought it did for me. It didn't. You know what I hear there? And I read that and I thought, oh, Lord, save that man. Somehow, save him. Uh, you'll see him like a, like a man seeking, longing, wanting for it. And I just want to scream, it's in Jesus, Steve. It's in Jesus. And as he faced the end of his life, you know what he said right before he died? Oh, wow. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. And then he died. Can you imagine? When the curtain falls, your only peace is Jesus. It's my hope. It's my hope that... Somehow in those last moments, the Lord just did what the Lord does sometimes. He just saved the man. I hope He did. But friends, that day is coming. It looms in front of us. And until then, Jesus. Until then, Jesus, the Prince of Peace, beckons you to come home. Draw near. I give peace. Not as the world gives peace do I give it. But I give you my peace. The peace of not being afraid of death. Not being afraid of judgment, not being afraid of the storm or the 185,000 Assyrians that face your life. He's got it. Let's pray. For more information about Redeemer Georgetown, connect with us on social media or check us out at www.redeemergeorgetown.com.